the idea of uh, privatized faith, uh, a faith in God that's just held inwardly and to yourself is foreign to the scriptures. Our faith must govern our outward actions and our faith must govern our relationship to others. We cannot just isolate our faith to some inner peace that is irrelevant to all the other aspects of our lives. We cannot have a vital, real relationship with God without having that same vital relationship with his people. We looked at a passage last time I was with you from Philippians 1.27, which said, Only let your conduct, your manner of life, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This morning we are going to look at a call to a shared experience in Jesus Christ. A shared experience that all of us as believers are to have. That shared experience is referred to in our text is a like-mindedness. In Philippians 2 verse 2 it states, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So we're going to look at this aspect of being like-minded or having one mind as a people of God. We begin by looking at the basis for the call to like-mindedness, and that is that we are to be like-minded because of the objective truth of our faith. Notice verse 1. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if you have a translation other than the ESV this morning, you're going to find that there are four ifs in chapter 2, verse 1. The other translations read as follows, for example, the NAS Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion. In the original, all four of those ifs are present. I don't know why the ESV chose to not include them in the other three phrases, but they are in fact found in all four instances. The ifs here are not to raise doubt or uncertainty. It's not saying that perhaps there is not any encouragement of Christ, or perhaps there is no comfort of love, but rather it is a satirical statement. It is a confrontational statement. It's saying that if there is any reality at all, to the spiritual language that we use. If there's any substance to it, if there's any basis whatsoever to the ways in which we speak about the truths of Scripture, then they should have an impact on our lives. 
So it states in verse 1, if there is any encouragement of Christ, of course there is reason to be encouraged in Christ. Of course there is reason for us to have confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the kinds of things that Paul asserts about Jesus, about the Christ. In Philippians 1, verse 11, he talks about being filled with the fruits of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of praise in God. So he tells us that we can produce righteous fruits because of or through the Lord Jesus Christ. In Philippians 4, verse 13, a, a verse that many people have, have memorized, says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, if that's more than just a motto, <laughs> if that's more than just something we're going to hang on a wall somewhere, that's a, a nice phrase, uh, pleasant thought, but wishful thinking. If there's any substance to that truth, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul says in Philippians 4.19, My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That in Christ Jesus, that all the spiritual needs that we have can be met. Again, if there's any truth to that at all, if there's any reality, if there's any substance to that, then he is calling us to like mindedness. Goes on in verse 1 to say, if there's any comfort from love, any comfort from love, especially the love that comes from Christ. And of course, there's reason for comfort in love. Philippians 1.8, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Meaning that because of his relationship to Christ, he has an affection for the Philippian believers. And because of their relationship to Christ, there is an affection that exists between Paul and the believers. Because of their relationship to Christ, there's an affection that exists among the Philippian believers. He says if there's any basis to that, he's going to call them to like-mindedness. So there's this objective truth. If there's any reality to the doctrines we preach, then they should be appropriated. The second two phrases call us to a like-mindedness due to the subjective reality of our faith. That is, if our faith is real, okay, if, there, if there's any truth behind our saying that, that we believe in Jesus, if there's any reality to our professed experience. Notice the words in Philippians 2.1. Any participation in the Spirit. If God has done any work in our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit has brought any conviction, if the Holy Spirit has, has imparted any faith, if the Holy Spirit has, has done anything at all in our lives, then we are called to a like-mindedness. The Holy Spirit is actually at work. 
The first emphasis was that these doctrines are absolutely true. And the second is that they have been truly embraced because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we find ourselves by saying any affection and sympathy in our relationship to one another. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. That in the work of the spirit, that you are standing firm in the things of God. We already looked at that two weeks ago, but it's the reality of the work of the spirit. And then thirdly, the third basis, that we're called to like-mindedness, is due to the anticipation of the answer to prayer. Paul expected his prayers to be effectual. When Paul was offering his prayers, he wasn't just thinking out loud. He wasn't just expressing some wish that it would be wonderful if things were this way. But he was actually bringing requests before God with an anticipation that God was going to work. For notice what it says in Philippians 2.2. It says, complete my joy. Complete my joy. Paul wants the joy that he has to be fully realized, to come to fruition. It's like a, a project that started. And he's saying, now it's time for that project to be completed, for my joy to actually be realized, experienced. Paul had expressed joy when he prayed. Look at Philippians 1, 3, and 4. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. He said, as, as I prayed, I prayed with joy. The joy is the anticipation that his prayers mean something, that they're actually going to accomplish something, that God is going to hear and God is going to work. And so now he says, may my joy be complete, may my prayers be answered, may we see God at work as you have this one mind. So the call to one mind is on the basis of the reality of the Christian faith. The truth of what we proclaim and the reality of embracing it in our hearts and minds. So in verse 2 it says, complete my joy being of the same mind. Being of the same mind. So that's the shared Christian experience that we are to have as Christians to be of one mind. So this morning I want to unpack what does that mean? What does that look like? What is it to be of one mind. There are 10 references in the book of Philippians to being of one mind. They're not all translated into English that way, but this word that we are told to be like-minded, there are actually uh, 10 references to it in Philippians. I'm going to be using a number of them this morning. But uh, they fall nicely into three categories. And the three categories are actually found in the verse that we're looking at this morning. So we're looking at what does it mean to be like-minded? Well, there's three elements to it. First, 
To be like-minded includes having the same love. Here, the idea is of a mutual interest and affection for one another. Notice verse 2. Complete my joy by being one of the same mind. What does that mean? Well, first, having the same love. Having the same love. The word to have the same mind is, 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 a, is a word that's pregnant with a lot of different meanings. There's, there's, at the heart of it is to think about something. To think about something. But when we use the word to think about, we usually think in terms of meditation or, or pondering or, or reflection. But it's a, it's a broad, broad word. And the first has an idea of thinking about someone in an affectionate way, having an emotional response to our thinking about something. And it's first found in Philippians chapter 1, verse 7. where it says, it is right for me to feel this way about you. That word feel is this word to be like-minded. It is right for me to think about you in this way. In fact, that's how the King James translates it. Even as it is right for me to think this of you all. But the ESV and the NAS and the NIV capture the, the pathos of this by talking about when, when Paul is thinking about them, He's more than just objectively reminiscing, but the thoughts pro- actually produce a, an emotional response. He's, he is moved. He feels for them when he is thinking of them, and it's characterized by being moved, being moved. Notice in verse 8. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. This aspect of yearning, this being like-minded, that that Paul wants to be with them. He desires to fellowship with them. That he wants to have an ongoing relationship with them. Epaphroditus longed for the Philippians. Turn with me to Philippians 2.26. Concerning Epaphroditus. For Philippians 2.26, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. When he thought of the Philippians, he being Epaphroditus. When he was ill, he thought about how the Philippians were going to react when they heard that he was ill. And when he thought about how the Philippians were going to react when they heard that he was ill, it says that he was distressed. It produced an emotional response. He was distressed. He He was anxious about how they would take it when they heard that he was ill. 
Now turn with me to Philippians 2, 3, and 4. I know we're jumping all over the place, but these thoughts are spread throughout the book of Philippians. And if I can just say as an aside, the more often you can read this book, the better off you are, because you can start drawing the, the lines to these, these various thoughts. But if you look at Philippians 2, 3, and 4, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Here is this example in Epaphroditus, who himself is sick, but not only thinks about himself when he is sick, but he thinks about what the Philippians are going to think about his being sick. And without going to that whole passage, we're going to look at it in a few weeks. The reason Epaphroditus is sick is sick near unto death. And the reason he's just about died is it says, for he is fulfilling where you are weak or absent in doing the work of God. Uh, he's working himself to death because they sent him to do a job and they've sent him alone. He doesn't say, woe is me. He doesn't say, oh, it's, uh, this is terrible. But rather, he thinks, what are they going to think when they hear that I'm sick? Are they going to feel guilty? Are they going to feel, are, are they gonna feel like they have, they have shirked their own responsibility? Are, are they going to regret? Are, are they going to be miserable? Are they going to be unhappy? Or are they going to look at themselves and find fault with themselves? So Epaphroditus, in his own illness, when he thinks about the Philippians, is distressed in what this is going to mean for them, for their well-being, for their thought. This like-mindedness, this mutual affection that comes through our, our thoughts. Not only a, a mutual affection, but a mutual concern. The word like-minded occurs again in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, if you would turn there. Philippians 4, 10, this very same word, to be like-minded. Paul is writing... He's talking about the fact that they had sent a gift to him. They being the Philippians. They had sent a gift. And if you look at verse 10, it says this. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. The word for concern is this same Greek word for like-mindedness, okay? You thought of me, and it produced a concern, a concern that caused you to give, a concern that, that caused you to open up your, your pockets and send money to me. In fact, he goes on to say not just once, but twice while he was in Thessalonica, because of this like-mindedness, because of this concern that you have for me. Secondly, being like-minded means working together. Working together. Back to Philippians 2.2. We're not going to be there long, but here's the basis. Philippians 2.2. Complete my joy by having the same mind, having the same love, and now this word, 
being in full accord. Being in full accord. What does it mean to be in full accord? It doesn't mean that we all drive Hondas. An accord? Okay. It doesn't mean we all drive Hondas. It doesn't mean we all think alike. It doesn't mean that we all have the same interests. It doesn't mean that we all see things eye to eye. It doesn't mean we have the same likes and dislikes. But it does mean that we are able to work together. It's unlike our elected officials. You know, that, that they can't work together for a common good. Okay? They can't look at health care and Republicans and Democrats put all their differences aside and just say, you know, we ought to do what's best for people. We ought to just move ahead and have a common goal, a common interest, and do what's right. No, they've got to fight. They've got to oppose each other. They try to undo each other. That's not being of one accord. We are of one accord when we are striving together for the sake of the gospel. We are striving together for the sake of the gospel. Back to uh, Philippians chapter 1. Verse 28. Uh, excuse me, verse uh, 27. Well, and let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, of working together. Let me show you another place where the same word is used, Philippians 4.1. Philippians 4.1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved, Verse 2, I entreat Yodia and I treat Sanctity to agree in the Lord. That's actually verse 2. This phrase, agree in the Lord, is our word for to be like-minded, to have, to have one mind, to have one mind, to agree in the Lord. To agree doesn't mean, again, that you always see eye to eye. I think of board meetings. I think of committee meetings in the church where there are going to be different opinions, where there are going to be different ideas. There are going to be different thoughts as to what should be done. That doesn't mean that every vote that you take is unanimous. There is a, an old statement, and I'm sure you've heard it, that says we're going to agree to disagree. That is a worldly thought. That's not a biblical thought. To agree to disagree means we recognize that you have your idea and I have my idea and you retain your idea and I retain my idea and we're just going to be at peace. You go your way, I go my way. We're going to quit fighting about it. It isn't that we agree to disagree. It is that we agree to agree. What does that mean? That means that we submit to one another so that 
when a vote is cast and six people say we ought to do this and two people say we ought to do that, then the two people get on board and go along with what the six people want to do. They submit to one another. They are concerned about the interests of one another. That they are going to agree. They're going to subservient themselves. They are going to work together. So when Paul says about these two individuals in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, is that they are no longer working together for the cause of Christ. They're letting their differences interfere. In Philippians 2, 3, and 4, it says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Take other people into account. Think of their desires. Think of what they want. And don't be motivated by ambition or conceit. As the people of God, we're to be a team. We're to be a family, actually. But this morning, for sake of analogy, we're to be a team. I played on a high school basketball team that was at one and the same time blessed and cursed. I played on a high school basketball team that had two very good basketball players, especially shooters. They weren't great defensively, but we had two really good shooters on our team. That was the blessing. The curse was that we had two really good shooters on our team. And they both were extremely competitive. They were very concerned about their stats. They wanted to perform well. They wanted to play college basketball. And those guys would come down the court and you knew that one of two people were taking a shot. And the person who was taking the shot is the person who had the ball. They were both guards. And we lost the majority of our, team, of our games because we had two guys that wouldn't pass a ball. And we had two guys that wouldn't think about the team. We had two guys that all they thought about was their own stats, their own glory, their own reputation, and as a result, the team languished. Well, you know, when there are people in the church that all they're concerned about is getting their own way, when all they're concerned about is their own needs being met, when they're concerned about their own convictions, and they say, who cares about anybody else? That's going to result in church splits. That's going to result in heartache. That's going to result in misery. That is totally opposite of what the Word of God would have us to be when it's talking about this like-mindedness, this working together, having a team spirit, a team approach to accomplishing the purposes of God. Then the third aspect of being like-minded is to have the same purpose or goals, amb ambitions or desires. Notice again, Philippians 2.2. 2. Complete my joy, being of the same mind, having the same love, being a full accord, and one mind. <laughs> That's not particularly helpful. Uh, one mind there is the exact same word that's 
used in verse 2 to say being of the same mind. Uh, one of the rules that we learn is don't use the word that you are defining in your definition. <laughs> but here we have this word again. For it's, it's a word that means so much. It, it's a catch-all word. And one of the catch-all aspects of this word is to have one purpose, to have one goal, to have one ambition. So if you have a NAS, Philippians 2, 2 is translated this way, make my joy complete by being of one of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, and then this one, intent on one purpose. Intent on one purpose. The ESV is right in translating that as one mind. It's the same word, but they're helping us understand what it means. It means to have one purpose. The purpose that we should all share as the people of God is to achieve the purpose that God had in saving us. Revelation 17, 17 says this, For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind. By being of one mind. By being of one mind, having one purpose, one goal, and that is to achieve the reasons for God saving us, individually and collectively. That our one thought is... Back to chapter 1, when Paul said, for me to live is Christ. That's the one thing that we all ought to have in common. That no matter what our interests are, no matter what our workplace is, no matter where we get our income from, that in doing our job, we are trying to exalt the Lord Jesus. We are trying to be faithful to Him. We are trying to demonstrate what the reality of the gospel is in the way in which I live my life. And then when we come collectively, together as a people of God, we are trying to show how Christians interact with each other to the glory of God as a result of the gospel. That's our purpose for existing. Let me show you how this is used elsewhere in this passage. Turn with me to chapter 3. Again, I don't have to... I, I can't unpack all this this morning, but, but I'm just wetting your appetite. To Philippians 3.14, Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I, I'm, I'm pressing on towards the goal. Now we have a, 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 a sports metaphor. You, you think of the, of the runner who's stretching for the finish line. You know, that they may stick out their chest and, and they lean. They're, they're, they're reaching for that finish line. They, they want to get across that line first. They, they want to finish well. Paul says, I'm sticking out my chest. I'm reaching for the goal of the prize of the high calling, the, the, the prize for which God has called me. Verse before it, 
Paul talks about the fact that he has been attained. It's the word for arrested. Paul was arrested. Paul, God got a hold of Paul for a purpose. And his goal in life was to achieve that purpose for which God had saved him. And then it goes on to say this, verse 17, chapter 3, 317. Brothers, join in, in, in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame, and now this word, these words, with minds set on earthly things. This word for mind is back to our like-mindedness. Their goals are earthly goals. Their goals are selfish goals. Their goals are living for themselves. Their goals are simply being happy. Their goals are simply to be rich. Their goals are about their glory. Their goals are about themselves. Their goal is not to achieve the purpose for which God had created them and then ultimately saved them. That's not their goal. Don't be like them. But be like those that are like Paul. Paul says, imitate me. Be like me. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Be like-minded in the goal that you have. Not that we all do the same thing, but we're all motivated by the same desire. That each one of us today wants to do the will of God. Each one of us want to achieve the purpose for which God has saved us. And each one of us are going to work together to enable each other to do just that. And then to show the transforming grace of God in our lives that as we interact with each other, we're showing a world how different Christians are. If there's any reality to all this. If there's any truth to all this. Okay, if, if what we're talking about is real. And if we have really become committed to this, if we participate in the Spirit, then let's have this one mind. Let's have this one mind. Let's have this affection for each other. Let's have this camaraderie, this working together. Let us have this shared purpose and goal of living for Christ. May we walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, help us, I pray. Uh, we do believe in the reality of these truths. We do believe that there is comfort to be had in Jesus. We do believe that there's encouragement to be had in him. We do believe that there's love that is established. We believe that these are not just words, but they have substance. There is a there to them. And not only do we believe them intellectually, but we have committed ourselves to them. We have embraced them. 
We're trying to trust in them. We are praying about these things. We have hopes and expectations. Oh, Lord, may those hopes and expectations be realized as we pray for each other, as we pray for ourselves, as we look to Jesus. Lord, help us to be of one mind, realizing that we're not ever always going to think exactly alike. We're not going to dress the same way. We're not going to drive the same cars. We're not going to behave in exactly the same way. But Lord, help us to be of one mind in the sense that we have a mutual affection for one another. That because of the work of Jesus, because of the love that he has given for us and for others, that, that we give in and receive that love from one another. A love that manifests itself in true concern. That we actually undertake to, to help one another, to relieve one another's burdens. That we take it seriously when we, we think about this relationship that we're to have to one another. Lord, that we would, we would really strive together for the, the cause of Christ, that we would see each other as, as one people, that, Lord, we would see ourselves on the, the same team, that we would not be competing with one another, that we would be not jealous of one another's gifts or abilities or the way in which they're being used, but, but Lord, that we would be willing to take upon ourselves the role on the team that you've assigned to us, and that we would never lose sight of what the ultimate goal is. And for us, it's the glory of Jesus Christ. It's showing forth the reality of the gospel. It's living for him. Oh, Lord, may we achieve your purpose as together with one heart and one mind we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. May he be glorified and praised, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.